0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Very Cold Lasagna podcast. And actually, it's a special edition of this show today. I am your host, Dylan Lasagna, and I got to start off by saying on this show, I tried to get a date on Valentine's Day, even in quarantine, but obviously I failed. Regardless of my efforts, even in the pandemic, I failed so even with these nice pair of roses and with this nice shirt i i don't know what it is i i I failed i failed you guys i couldn't secure a date on valentine's day on whatever dating site or going outside looking nice like (laughs) these roses or i don't know so you know what forget valentine's day Let's embrace Single Awareness Day and put these two things straight in the garbage. And for those of you listening to the audio version, I just pretty much tossed a bunch of red roses and a white shirt in the trash. So that's that. (laughs) But what better time to introduce a new fixture on this show than on Valentine's Day. That's actually what we're going to get into. Introducing a new fixture. That's not really new, but we're going to bring it into the fold here on this channel. And that thing is retro reviews. Now, I don't know how often I'm going to do these retro reviews, but it's a pretty dry period. Um, especially now that the, off- the NFL offseason is underway and... I'm not really too keen on other sports like the NBA or hockey or even the college sports and all that. And wrestling is also, like, modern wrestling is also kind of eh. So why not do something special on Single Awareness Day, a.k.a. Valentine's Day? And that is bring in retro views, which I'm kind of dubbing the old icebox opening the deepest in of the fridge and looking through the archives of the past mainly with old wrestling shows and sometimes I will review like past football games on occasion or like like past events whether it's in wrestling or on football like from, big blast from the past, whether it's good or bad. So, this is the first edition of the old Icebox. This first retro view. And, again, as a casual, all the takes that I have, all the nostalgia that's going to be here. Um, it'll be mixed. Um, it'll be different from everyone's trip down memory lane. Um, it, it might be new to some of you. Um, this... A lot of this we're going to take a look at is certainly going to be new to me. So, with that out of the way, let's go right into the deepest, darkest part of the fridge and go into the old icebox because we're going to kick off this retro review fixture of the Very Cold Lasagna podcast by taking a look at the 1999 February WWF pay-per-view that took place on February 14th. Yes. Yes. On Valentine's Day 1999 st. Valentine's Day massacre in your house this pay-per-view was when I watched it for the first time like in whole besides the main event it was kind of iffy it was it was kind of I was like I wasn't sure what was going on here there wasn't too many promos going on other than them promoting the main event because that was pretty much the whole night was centered around the main event between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Mr. McMahon inside a steel cage because if Austin won Stone Cold would go to WrestleMania and face whoever the WWE champion was some of you casuals might know but Stone Cold Steve Austin at the time during WWE WWF's uh that was WWE back then um, was one the one of the hottest wrestlers in in the company during the, the WWF's biggest and like booming period like besides the the 1980s the attitude era where they were edgier, grungier and bloodier like what have you like all those all those edgier terms that you can describe it was it was a really good time to be a wrestling fan back in the late 1990s. Um, obviously, being born in the late 1990s, like I, I think I was like two years old when the Attitude Era first started, so I was still I was still a big baby <laughs> when the Attitude Era first started. And again, as I mentioned in the pilot episode, I didn't get my hands on wrestling till 2006, and I didn't see portions of the Attitude Era till I first discovered YouTube. So, so let's talk about Saint Valentine's Day Massacre. Um, obviously, this took place on February 14th, uh, 1999. So, on Valentine's Day. So, it was a li- little bit over 20 years ago. Like, a little bit over 20 years ago. 21? 20, 22 years ago, exact? 22 years ago, exactly now. And this was the final In Your House event. And this the In Your House events were like Monthly pay-per-views um, before the monthly pay-per-views became a thing, um, in your house served as um, a way to counter World Championship Wrestling's monthly pay-per-views. So the WWF was offering do- like in your house pay monthly pay-per-views. Um, you know, like two two to three hour monthly pay-per-views that weren't like WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series. Um, back in the day. Like, you know, it's like B, C tier shows, if you like to call it, um, for a reasonably low price of $15. So, interesting. So, this was the last one, um, the last in-your-house before last year when NXT TakeOver had a in-your-house thing because, you know, the pandemic in June 2020. So... The interesting na- thing about the name, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, um, the event name alluded to um, something that happened in 1929. Um, it was like a murder of the same name. So a little bit about the murder, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre of 1929. Um, so it involved seven members and associates of Chicago's Northside Gang Um, an Irish-American criminal organization. They were assassinated by four mysterious assailants dressed as police officers. Um, and this was during, like, this huge gang war during the Prohibition, the, um, Depression era. Again, this was part of a big gang war between gangsters Al Capone and Bugs Moran. Some of you may know Al Capone. Um, I've heard the name before, um, but I'm not too keen on Capone, but... It's a name I've heard before. I don't know if you guys have. As with the show itself, um, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, I think I mentioned this already. Um, The matches itself weren't uh, special. I mean, other than the Steel Cage match, um, which we'll get into. But a lot of this show had a lot of story... Like, not in terms of in-ring action, this match, uh, this show was more so about story progression and that's really it's what what it was back in the day like story progression character development like advancement like moving things along and obviously with every like there's only one pay per view a month for um, the WWE or WWF so this is the last one before Wrestlemania 15 so, at least there were some moving parts here. Now, a lot there's a again, there's a lot of matches here that I had no clue take, had taken place besides the steel cage match. So, it was going to be an interesting card. It was going to be a, an interesting card going in super blind, not knowing what the hell is going to happen. And I was kind of in for a treat starting with this opening match, gold dust versus the blue meanie who was going by the name the gimmick blue dust so what was going on here is that the blue meanie started intimidating gold dust's gimmick of this uh you know blue uh movie star (laughs) to this day i'm still trying to figure out what gold gimmick was back in the day um so i think on the the saturday edition of raw um gold gold lost a match to gilberg that you know some of you may know gilberg um that parody of goldberg back in the day um except he's gilberg skinnier than goldberg and then after the match um the blue meanie um, sent down blue paint and spilled it all over gold dust on the Saturday before um, this pay per view. So that pissed gold dust off a lot. And during this match, it was pretty short. It, this match was pretty short, and it's pretty short, simple to the point. Where Gold Dust had a lot of majority of the offense, and he was just pissed off that uh, Blue Dust was stealing his gimmick. Um, he was committing gimmick infringement, and the only time you saw Blue Meanie get a form of offense was when he was humping uh, Gold Dust's leg um, tw- twice. And he tried, I don't know what he was trying to do here. Was he trying to do a figure four or something? But he was, he was just shaking his hips around Gold Dust's leg and then he even humped it. But after the second time, Gold, Gold Dust spanked him around the ring. And he tried to go for uh, the Shattered Dreams in the corner where um, Gold Dust spread his legs on the second uh, turnbuckle. And then he's going to kick him in the nuts that's his uh shadow dreams uh, signature move but um the meanie uh reversed it and then the meanie tried to go for a moonsault but gold dust tried to get out of, got out of the way and he hit his curtain call finisher which is like a half reverse suplex but he just lifts him and then slams him to the ground and then he won the match and then to please the crowd and to finally get his revenge he kicked, uh, blue du- uh, blue meanie, blue dust in the dick by hitting Shadow Dreams. So, I guess it was a sh- like, I guess it was a simple opener. I mean, nothing memorable, but it, I guess it caused like some semblance, some conclusion to that storyline, and Gold Dust finally got his revenge in the opening moment, and the crowd got off to a happy start with gold dust um getting them hyped up so now we go on to the hardcore championship um between hard um at the time he wasn't hardcore holly he was bob holly um and al snow and well obviously it's a it's for the hardcore championship um it has so it's got to be a hardcore match so wrote Some of you may know Road Dog, uh, Jesse James. He was a member of the... The... More... One of the most famous tag teams in WWE history. D-Generation X. Um, Jesse... Road Dog was supposed to defend his title... um, Here. At this event. But... In storyline, he was attacked backstage... um, On that Saturday edition of Raw. And he had to vacate it. So... The, somewhere somewhere in that night the job squad members al snow and bob holly w- were fighting with each other because bob holly was was kind of like dumbfounded that al snow was fighting himself yeah that's weird so as expected in a hardcore match these two were just going at it with each other um they were fighting all over the arena um, they broke. They broke and threw so many things at each other, like floor tiles, mops, trash bins, and Bob Holly even hit a parking sign onto uh, Al Snow. So they made their way outside the arena. Um, they were at the. It was called the Pyramid um, back in Memphis in, in in 1999, and it was. Coldest. It looked obviously being February. It was cold as hell. So they went all the way near the Mississippi River. Apparently, that's where Jerry Lawler, and Michael Cole were um, met or talk were were telling uh, the viewers, and they were battling near the Mississippi River, and they threw their near naked bodies inside that cold ass water. <laughs> like, are are they freaking? crazy it's one thing where in that like for example in 2006 john cena threw edge in the long island south where the it was in the summertime though that was in the summer but here Bob holly and al snow threw each other in the mississippi river where the water was cold was cold as hell in the winter time they probably had hypothermia after that, they probably had to get like a blanket backstage when they had to like after that match They probably got to get hot chocolate or I don't know to to like get their body back to their like proper temperature so Bob Holly like strategically won the match and the vacant hardcore title by trapping Al Snow in a nearby chain-link fence, so This was like obviously not like the hardcore matches of today. I mean, obviously, the ones you see today are a bunch of like table spots or like super flips and kicks and all that. But you're getting a lot of like a lot of like even crazier weapons being used here. And again, going outside to freaking throw each other into the cold ass water. I mean I think that was like the best spot of the match. The best spot of the match was just Bob Holly and Al Snow throwing each other into the cold ass Mississippi River. So Bob Holly wins this match. Um I think I thought it was alright um for um that hardcore tile match. Maybe if um like if they have all those hardcore matches on the on the Peacock streaming service, then I'll probably see much better ones. So, next we had Big Boss Man versus Midian. So, what's going on here is that two of the biggest stables at the time um, were at war for control of the WWF. Those two stables being Mr. McMahon's, um, well, in character, Vince McMahon's uh, corporation going up against the Undertaker's Ministry of Darkness. So,. Honestly, like, I didn't. I didn't know who was the face or the heel, um, like who was the good good stable, who was the bad stable, because both, technically, both both stables act as heels. Like corporate, the corporation is trying to like beat up on all the babyfaces, especially Steve Austin and. Well, the, min- the Ministry of Darkness at the time was still relatively new. Like Undertaker was still trying to recruit people in. So we, had, we didn't really have a clue what the hell they were trying to do. But Mr. McMahon had to send the big boss man, the corporation's enforcer, because, well, everyone else was either doing something else on the side or everyone else was too scared to do it. So not a lot happened during this match. Um everything else like notable happened afterwards. Um, big Moss, big hospital, big boss man, one, one with the sidewalk slam. Um, but after that, as like, as big boss man was ready to fight the entire ministry, um, in the ring with his nightstick in hand, the undertaker's music hit and the lights went dark. And when the lights went, uh, were dark, the ministry attacked, Big Boss Man and when the lights came back on the, the ministry was ready to abduct him <laughs> under orders from the Undertaker. So the, the commentators were wondering, where the hell are they going to take him? Where the hell are they taking Big Boss Man? So that that postmatch segment like was a good like seg- segue, a good setup um, for what was to come f- between Undertaker and Big Boss Man. Well, um, I don't I don't know about the match though, but it set them up for a collision course towards WrestleMania fifteen. So then we get the WWF tag team uh champions, Jeff Jarrett. Oh, oh. <laughs> I totally forgot Jeff Jarrett was in the WW, WWF at this time. All the only place I remember Jeff Jarrett was in TNA. Total nonstop action. That's the only time I remember Jeff Jarrett in wrestling was in TNA. I did not remember Jeff Jarrett back in uh, like in the Attitude Era. Uh, OTRS is probably going to throw a fit when he cursed Jeff Jarrett in this podcast. Um, so the WF Tag Team Champions, Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart. Um, I didn't know Owen Hart had a tag team with Jeff Jarrett. But nonetheless... They defended their titles against D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry. So what's going on here is that um, Mark Henry um, had a had a character that was at his, like besides um, the Hall of Pain that happened way after the Attitude Era back in 2011. So he, he had his first uh, peak. He was at his first peak during the Attitude Era like during the 1999 with his sexual chocolate gimmick. He was like a ladies man. So he was pretty much gained all the late. He was trying to flirt with all the ladies. He was trying to flirt with, uh, Deborah, he was trying to flirt with China. But when he flirted with, uh, Deborah, um, Jeff Jarrett, it was just a ruse. It, so, cause Jeff Jarrett attacked him on an edition of raw. So, when that happened, as they were preparing to go up against Jarrett and Hart, D'Lo Brown introduced Henry to this new girl named Ivory, and I'm like, "Hmm, interesting." So this this tag team match um kind of like exemplified how simple like things were back in the day. It kind of exemplified um. How much emphasis was on the actual like tag team wrestling. Like not all these like super spot monkey moves. But like on like tag team chemistry. Like much simpler tag team chemistry. Like Jeff Jarrett and Own Hart having good teamwork. Like actually exhibiting good teamwork. Along with Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown through their strength and power. They got to exhibit their uh, teamwork. And then Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart having a large majority of the offense during the match by being dirty heels. So near the end, um, D'Lo Brown finally got the hot tag on Mark Henry, um, who just went away at Jarrett and Hart. But near the end, when D'Lo like D'Lo Brown tried to win the tag team titles. Um he was trying to go for like this low his low down finisher. I think it, from what I seen, it was like this high flying move. I don't know if it was like gonna be a frog splash or like just a like he was gonna fly off the top rope or something. Um Deborah um went up the steel steps and like touched him. It was like, Hey baby, hey baby and D'Lo Brown had to look from behind, like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> That's when Ivory came in, who Jerry Lawler mentioned is that who Jerry Lawler mentioned that if Deborah got involved, Ivory would take off all her clothes. Did I see? Did I hear that right? Who <laughs> would rip off all her clothes? I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> so Ivory and Deborah are arguing, and D'Lo Brown and uh, Mark Henry are trying to like like restore order but while Mark Henry has Owen Hart pressed up in the air uh, no not Owen Hart but Jeff Jarrett, Owen Hart hits Mark Henry with the guitar and breaking it between his legs so that allows Jeff Jarrett to lock in the figure four um, and Henry taps out. Now keep in mind when they broke the guitar. The referee was distracted, and, and obviously the referee's being stupid. <laughs> they were like, "What just happened? What just happened?" But yeah, Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart retained the tag team titles um, via, you know, dirty methods. So overall, a nice little tag team match here, um, and I like the little story elements here too, um, like how Michael Cole touched on how many women mark henry already encountered with his uh gimmick and how deborah le- really knows how to get attention <laughs> like literally she was all over this match she was just like they they focused her on, on so many times and she got involved with the finish so clearly this i i don't think this feud was over with come wrestlemania i'm assuming So then we get to the Intercontinental Championship match between Ken Shamrock and Val Venus. And by the end of this match, like by the end of this match, I kind of had mixed feelings. But watching the promo, watching the pre-match promo, it was uh, very interesting. This kind of exemplified the definition of uh, Valentine's Day here. This, this really did this this was the match this is the match promo that kind of that really exemplified valentine's day so val venus uh whose gimmick was uh that of an adult porn star <laughs> you know hello ladies <laughs> so he was he he, he was having a storyline with uh ken shamrock's you know sister not really sister It's just playing it's just a actress playing as a shamrock sister ryan but let me just say first like i don't know what why or how i'm not, I'm not sure what kind of girl's name is ryan but i mean just bear with me <laughs> it's just kind of weird that's just kind of weird so anyway val venus is Hitting and even banging on Ken Rock, Shamrock's not really sister Ryan and She even like they even filmed this like Pornographic film like Val Venus, uh, filmed called Saving Ryan's privates now obviously if you don't get the parody Go look go go look it up um, on Wikipedia so Ken Shamrock, although he promised to keep his cool because obviously he's trying to be a, a protective, a protective yet calm brother to his sister, he saw this film, he saw this happen, he saw uh, Venus being too flirty with uh, Ryan and he completely he's he completely lost it over the next several weeks leading up to uh, St. Valentine's Day, and he hit started hitting uh, Venus with a he hit Venus with a chair at one point, and then he attacked a bunch of referees during one of Venus's interviews leading up to the event, and it scared all the referees. and Earl Hebner, the senior referee in the WF at the time. He was like, we're not we're not officiating this event. Everyone's scared to do it. We're scared of what Ken Shamrock's going to do to us if <laughs> if if Venus gets his hand or does anything flirty again with Ryan or like screw you, we're not officiating this match. So, no one wanted to officiate this match. Someone had to officiate it. And the only one willing? Badass Billy Gunn. So, we get into this match, and Venus, obviously, being his freaking uh, porn star self, he comes out with Ryan in a very skimpy outfit, <laughs> and they the cam the cameraman, at one point, during Venus's entrance, um, focused on Ryan in a very tilty angle. What the fuck are you doing? Like... What, what are you doing, cameraman? <laughs> so, Venus obviously has his entrance. And then... Venus makes a pun about Valentine's Day. And how he has a heart on for the audience. <laughs> God damn it, Val Venus. So, Ken Shamrock comes out next. And he's like... I want this motherfucker right now. And he rushes to the ring. And he wants... Some of Val Venus, But Val Venus strikes first. And like. Billy Gunn. Um, because Michael Cole mentioned how. He hates both of them. He was kind of like very. Bi- like I don't know if you could call him very biased. Or impartial during this match. But. He was very slow to react. At a lot of times during this match. Like he was slow to react or disinterested because again, Michael, as Michael Cole mentioned, he hated both of their guts. Like, especially in the very early portion where in the first pinfall attempt, he counted very slow for Val Venus. So once the action started to get to the outside, when Ken Shamrock was on offense, um, Bill, they, um, Billy Gunn got in the face of Ken when, they were they were fighting at ringside. Uh, Ken Shamrock and Val Venus. and and Billy Gunn told Ken to get back in the ring. And while he, while while they did, Billy Gunn obviously checked out Ryan's ass. God damn it! God damn it, Billy! What do I know? You're Mister Ass, but yeah, I could see why you're Mister Ass. <laughs> so anyway, um. There's a a lot of the middle portion of the match, not too, not too much happened, um, but near it was where the ending that things got really interesting. So, Kent Shemrock hits a DDT on Venus, um, and he he was gonna win this match, like he had the three count. Let's be honest with you, but Billy Gunn, pers- purposely stopped at two. And a half. Or maybe two and three quarters. And that pissed off Camp Shamrock. And I'm going to say this right now. I was going to save this for my opinions. But Kent Shamrock was like spitting F-bombs all over this match. Uncensored. That was how... That's how WWF got away with so many censors back in the day. I'm like... I don't... Like, that's crazy. That's crazy. So... Um Ken Shamrock tried to win it with the ankle lock um but his sister um helped drag Val to the bottom rope in front of both Ken and Billy Gunn so Billy Gunn didn't care that um Ryan literally helped uh drag Val Venus to the bottom rope there was like uh you're not okay I don't really care I don't I'm not going to eject you or disqualify Val Venus um yeah you can help <laughs> So Ken Shamrock wanted to confront uh, his sister and they get into an argument. Ryan slaps Ken Shamrock and then Billy Gunn starts standing in the way of Shamrock. And when Shamrock pushes him, Billy punches him back and throws him back in the ring. And Ken gets fruit roll up and Billy Gunn fast counts. Uh, for a victory in favor of Val Venus, who becomes the new WAF intercontinental champion so Billy Gunn walks to the back but he's met by um Kent Shamrock attacking him um for literally costing him the intercontinental championship but as Ken Shamrock walks to the back uh, Billy Gunn recovers just enough to attack Val Venus, but that doesn't stop Val Venus from literally celebrating the Intercontinental Championship in front of the fans and, well, Ryan. So, I mean, the the pre-match promo was actually pretty interesting. I thought it was going to be a very interesting match, but, I mean, unfortunately, the, the middle portion kind of dragged it down um, a lot. But, I will say... The beginning and end portions, um, were what defined this match. Like with Shamrock, the beginning, uh, where Shamrock's uh, emotions, um, put him at an early disadvantage. And a- actually, that was like the whole theme. Ken Shamrock's emotion actually ended up costing him the Intercontinental Championship because at the end, when Ryan, uh, dragged Val Venus, um, to the bottom rope and Billy Gunn obviously not doing anything about it. Uh, Ken Shamrock literally was about to like I think he was about to do something to his quote unquote sister. But um Ryan obviously like uh, backstabbed his brother his brother and and Shamrock was obviously ready to fight back against uh uh Ryan but Billy Gunn got the best of him and well that's what happens when your emotions gets the best of you, uh, Ken. So I like, I like the storytelling from the beginning and the end, the middle, um, not so much, but it's not bad. It, like, I think the storytelling was still good here, even with the slow in-ring portion in the middle. So next we had, the the corporations, China and Kane going up against D generation X's triple H and Xbox. So here um, China um, the ninth wonder of the world the first woman to compete in a men's match at the time um, so she was China was literally like one of the first women's wrestlers to actually like like blow up in popularity like she actually was actually a symbol like both um, in the ring and like like she's actually hot. So, China, um, who was a member of DX, obviously turned on uh, Triple H after the corporation came out and cost Triple H his match against the Rock Rockford W.F. title the night after the Royal Rumble by forcing Triple H to say "I quit" unless he wanted to see China choke slammed by Kane. But it was just a ruse because China betrayed him after by punching him in the dick you know, giving him that low blow between the nards. So, China switched sides to the corporation for money and fame. You know, she wanted to get ahead in life. So, she tried to make DX's life uh, a living hell with some mixed success in their matches. So, this is what led to this match. And I will say that China's uh, heel turn on DX. You know, it ended up being one of the dominoes uh, to to fall in. Well, the demise of DX in nineteen ninety nine. So a lot of this match centered around uh, China actually wrestling in this match. While she did wrestle, uh, she she actually showed a lot of flashes that she could hang with the boys, um, performing power slams, scoop slams, and. Former main Triple H and Xbox, who sold her moves, uh, pretty well. Kane would do a lot of work this match, like blind tagging, uh, China, and you could tell like China was like, "Let me wrestle here, man. I want to wrestle." <laughs> so Kane was just like, "Nah, I, I'm, I want to do this. Like, I have to do this." So that was pretty much a theme throughout that match, but. After several minutes of X-Pac game beat up by Kane and China, Triple H finally got the hot tag in, and every, the place was going wild. And Triple H finally had a chance at revenge on China, but it was quickly spoiled by Kane. But late throughout that throughout the end of the match, uh, X-Pac hit a Bronco Buster on China. Um, <laughs> that was kind of the funniest thing you see in X-Pac hitting like this bronco buster in the bot, like in the in the corner is like literally him jumping up and down the air onto china um you know I'm, I'm not gonna mention anything else there um but he was attacked by shane mcmahon who was on commentary but obviously the referee was away from the ring and he referees don't know what the hell's going on and x pac and shane like Brawled to the back. So Triple H was all alone here for DX. And while Kane was, was still on the outside recovering, Triple H almost put away China with the pedigree. He was about to get his revenge. But Kane hit a chokeslam and pulled an unconscious China onto Triple H to win the match. Um, as far as in ring work, um, I, I thought it was all right. That was pretty good, but the, it was all about the storytelling here, and that was China wanting to prove that she she can hang. She wasn't just a bodyguard for honestly anyone. She wanted to prove that she could actually wrestle in the ring, whether it was with um, the men or with the women. So impressive! It was a really good performance by China there, um, even if it was in limited spurts. So. There was also some good, um, mo- another good story element here, like how Michael Cole kept bringing up how Triple H was probably emotionally hurt, like by China's portrayal, and he he mentioned he even mentioned that again when Triple H finally got in the ring and went after China. So this was a nice tag team match to set up what went on later at WrestleMania. WrestleMania 15 between uh, these two factions again. So, next up, we had the the main event match before the actual main event match. If you know what I mean. So, we had the WWF Championship on the line with Mankind going up against The Rock in a last man standing match. So, going into this match the Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, obviously, and Mankind, Mick Foley, were his, his Mick Foley's alter ego, one of three alter egos, they were trading the WWF Championship for the, in the last month, actually. So, The Rock first won it in, the, in, in a, pretty much a repeat of the Montreal Screwjob from the year before at the at Survivor Series in November 1998 in the in that tournament. So he also retained it at the rock bottom <laughs> pay-per-view when Mankind won at first, but Mr. McMahon reversed it when he deemed that The Rock never tapped out, he passed out. So that doesn't constitute as a win for Mankind. But Mankind finally won the WWF Championship on that famous na- January 4th, 1999, Raw is War. Um, you know, that's going to put some butts in the seats. Episode. Um, but he lost it back to The the Rock at the Royal Rumble again in controversy in an I Quit match. Um, when The Rock played a recording of Mankind saying, I quit like from earlier in the evening. And then Mankind would win it again um during the Super Bowl 53 uh, not 53. <laughs> 33 halftime show in an empty arena match on halftime heat. So officials were like, "You know what? We're tired we're tired of them playing hot potato. We need a definitive champion that can challenge either Steve Austin or Mr. McMahon. Going into Wrestlemania. So. We're going to get one. At St. Valentine's Day Massacre. In a last man standing match. So for the match itself. um, Well. Just like with the hardcore uh, title match. There's a lot of brawling around the ringside. You got a lot of uh, crazy spots. Like Mankind. um, Hitting a DDT through a table. Um. That rock and mankind throwing each other um into the the simple um yet yeah, solid steel um like uh, stage like the, the the solid steel stage like a uh, curve uh thing so later on in the match um mankind tried to go for the people's elbow in the ring but the rock dodged it and also in that, er, later in the match Mankind tried to pile drive the rock through the announce table but the rock reversed it and Mankind uh, got backdropped head first onto the edge of the announce table so that probably hurt uh, a lot but considering Mick Foley and his love for pain back in the day yeah that, he probably loved that. So there was a lot of times where they they're just trying to knock each other out because in a last man standing match that's pretty much your goal. To not not get up at the count of ten, pretty much like a boxing match. So mankind tried to end this match with the mandible claw, but the ref was knocked out. <laughs> like they accidentally knocked out the knocked the ref out of the ring, and mankind had to bring him back in. But the ending came when the mankind and the rock hit each other in the head so hard with steel chairs that they couldn't answer the ten count. So, yeah, the match ended in a draw, and that was that. And all I can say is if that ending happened in 2021, wrestling social media would have crapped all over this match more than the crowd did back in 1999 when they were chanting, Bullshit! 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 Like wrestling, Twitter was like, "This was the worst matching ever. How could you do this, man? I'm like, this, this booking sucks. I'm gonna cancel WWE Network." Yeah, like, I like I, I don't know about that. Like, I don't know about that one. Like, but even then, wait, like, without this weird ending, um, I doubt the match stipulation like out of the previous ones, um, they did like the empty arena. Um the I quit match. I thought it was a fitting way. Uh I thought it had this had a definitive winner. It could have been like a definitive way to end their rivalry. Like what whether it was the Rock or Mankind winning, but obviously we know that the Rock would want to win the WF championship back from Mankind and then face Steve Austin for the WF title at WrestleMania. Oops, oh, spoiler alert <laughs> But anyway. Um, so, be, yeah, it, this was a fitting stipulation, um, because both of these men hated each other so much, and they put each other through so much hell in those last three months, but yet, this just felt like a false count anywhere match, like, with all the, like, I I get it. they hate each other, they put each other through hell, but considering, like, with all the crazier stuff we got in, in the halftime heat... And the I Quit match, they didn't really do anything different um, in this one. Like, so the only thing that I did like though was The Rock. <laughs> like when he was like when Mankind was trying to get up, The Rock went on commentary, took off, uh, took over from Michael Cole, and he was just talking trash um, against Mankind until he got until he got punched in the face he got yeeted on and then at one point during the match before he got um the into the mandible claw the rock sang to the crowd he he sang to the crowd and the crowd was actually singing with him (laughs) And and that's that's proved prior to even before the rock went on to have major superstardom he was so over. He was so popular with the fans. The fans loved him. They were just waiting for him to get out of the corporation. Man, his <laughs> Mike skills, charisma, and obviously he's a heel, so arrogant. Like he, like he was good. He was really good here, uh, yet again. And mankind was obviously a good foil to that. So Rock had his moments. Mankind had his moments, but I mean the match was eh. Um, but now we have the main event: Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Mr. McMahon in a steel cage match for a WWF Championship match at WrestleMania 15. So, why why is Mr. McMahon uh, ha- exactly having a number one contendership match when he won the Royal Rumble a month, like not a month, not even a month before, just weeks after he won the 1999? Royal Rumble match after just eliminating Steve Austin. Well, he announced that because he's not a full time competitor, he would forfeit his guaranteed title opportunity against the wwf champion. Now obviously he'd probably forfeit it anyway because well, their your WWF champion at the time was your fellow corporate champion. The Rock. So you, Mister is Mister McMahon versus The Rock at WrestleMania 15? Eh, uh-uh. eh. Uh-uh. I'm not gonna finish my corporate champion. Like I'm, I'm not gonna do that. Or maybe, maybe I do. Maybe I don't. Hmm. It's good shit, pal. Think about it, pal. So anyway, Mister McMahon doesn't want to face uh, the WWE champion at WrestleMania because he's not a full-time competitor, but. The WWF Commissioner Shawn Michaels uh, informed Mr. McMahon that because he can't compete, the runner-up, which was Steve Austin, would take his place. So Stone Cold, being that the the rebel, the asshole, the ass kicker, what have you, the the beer head, <laughs> the rattlesnake that he is, he used this latest McMahon failure um to his advantage and lured him into accepting a match. And not just any match, but a probable ass kicking without any consequences whatsoever and with no help from the corporation. A steel cage match. And Well, obviously, from history's past, we've seen with steel cage matches, even though it's supposed to stop outside interference, outside interference still happens. But Mr. McMahon went a step ahead and guaranteed Austin that no member of the corporation would get involved or they'd be fired on the spot. So we head into this match um, that most of you, that have played WWE video games or have seen on like highlight packages or something um, have, but mostly WWE video games like have seen countless times. So we start the steel cage match, um, but not really because Mr. McMahon being the arrogant and cocky owner that he is, he makes Austin wait. He doesn't enter the cage right away because well, he doesn't want the ass kicking. He doesn't want to get his his butt whooped. And Austin, he doesn't he doesn't want to wait any longer. He gets out of the cage and he chases McMahon around before McMahon smartly gets it in the cage and locks himself in. And Austin tries to get to McMahon from the outside, but he falls off the cage. And but in reality, he's just baiting mcmahon to come out so he pretends he hurts his ankle his his knee um he commentators are trying to hype up or trying to like i don't know like say that austin may have hurt his knee he might not compete but mcmahon comes outside and once mcmahon gets even closer austin starts fighting him and beating him up and he finally gets to beat, like he finally gets to kick McMahon's ass without uh, legal trouble. Um, and this is pretty much what what happens throughout the rest of the match. I mean, Mr. McMahon has his moments of uh, offense, but every time McMahon has a burst of offense, Austin comes right back to kick his ass again. So, after f- a lot of fighting around the ring, after throwing each other on the outside cage wall. Um, Mr. McMahon tries to climb back inside the ring from the outside cage wall and oh man That was a mistake. Mr. McMahon because Austin bashes his skull into the top of the cage and <laughs> Mr. McMahon sells this so well McMahon bounces head bounces off and McMahon like ricochets like this <laughs> He ba- his head bounces off and McMahon literally just bounces off the cage and through the spin and drops down through the Spanish announce table and it breaks. <laughs> so 20 feet, he goes 20 feet off the cage, bounces off, and goes through the Spanish announce table. And that's a moment you'd often see if you played the WWE 13 or WWE 2K16. So after McMahon gets bounced off. through the table, they bring out the stretcher after this. And they tried to give Steve Austin a forfeit victory, um, but Austin wanted to finish his can of whip ass so <laughs> he, after he cut a promo on wanting to finish his can of whip ass he, he goes after a stretcher-riddled McMahon, and he's like, I want to finish this. I want to finish this now. And he brings him back into the cage, and the match is officially underway. So um Austin starts kicking his ass inside the cage but as as Austin you know pandering to the crowd he starts to climb up the cage you know trying to win the match because back in the day you couldn't win the match by pinning your opponent inside the cage you actually had to you actually had to climb up and win and escape the cage you know something that should still be a rule like or your only way to win Escape the cage, not by pinfall or submission. But anyway, so the common theme throughout this uh, match was every time that Austin would uh, win this match um, easily, McMahon would like literally lure him back in by giving him the bird. So this happened twice, and uh, the first time that it happened, Austin. Continued to beat McMahon mercil- mercilessly, and he even got McMahon to bleed by throwing him into the cage wall so many times. Um, especially on the time that he threw him to the cage hard, he made him bleed. So Austin finally had enough. He want, he he wanted to win the match, but as he almost touched he, on the second time, he tried to win the match when he was about to have his feet touch the floor. Like, literally, like, ten feet below... Like, not like not even ten feet, five feet below the floor. McMahon flipped him off again. And Austin came back in, <laughs> this time gave him a stunner. And as Austin was taunting McMahon, um, all of the rain, the camera was kind of, like, shaking a bit because, well, a, there was a big hole um, being made, and, well... A certain giant made his debut and it was Paul White, Paul White, Paul White, AKA the big show made his debut, um, on this night and started attacking Steve Austin, throwing him into the cage wall and everyone was booing Paul White and, and Michael Cole was going batshit crazy, look at him, he's so big, it's Paul White. <laughs> and McMahon was like, yeah, yeah, you like me now, Austin? I got this big, big, bad giant all over your ass, yeah. And McMahon commanded White to throw Austin through the, on the cage wall again, but this time much harder that he bleeds. But when White tried to throw Austin again, he threw him way too hard and the pan, the left panel of the cage uh, opened. It swung open and Austin easily dropped down uh, to the floor. And <laughs> just like that, he won the match and, and got his WWF title match which eventually became The Rock at WrestleMania 15. So, if you're looking for the in-ring work rate in this match, obviously you're not gonna get it here, um, with this uh, steel cage match between Austin and McMahon because this was all about continuing this Austin McMahon rivalry and the storytelling that came with it, because after a year of a year and a half of torture, um, of beating up of Austin beating up McMahon with, um, Austin getting arrested, um, Austin getting into legal trouble, Austin finally beat up McMahon. In a sanctioned, like I, I don't know, if steel C- you would consider steel cage match a sanctioned match, but nonetheless, he got to beat up uh McMahon in a and ma- a wrestling ring with no problems whatsoever, and he enjoyed the hell out of it. And McMahon finally got, uh, for one night at least, uh, got what he deserved. And while it looked like it was going to be a one sided uh, matchup, Paul White. Um, the big show, um, made his debut and well, he still somehow made McMahon lose this match. So overall, this match was, uh, yet another storytelling, uh, goodness, uh, (laughs) full of storytelling goodness, but overall that was St. Valentine's day massacre. Um, it was not a bad show. Um, but again, it was not a great show by any means. But it was, I would say, a, I I don't know, good, like like a decent, like I I I'll, I'll say, in terms of storytelling, good show to to set up WrestleMania 15. Um, for someone that hasn't got in tune, like too in tune. With some of the Attitude Era matches, uh, wrestlers, pay per views, etc. This was a pretty decent show that um, would get me introduced to some of them at least. Um, obviously, one pay per view doesn't cha- like, um, like, like fully get me engaged in some of these wrestlers, um, but it gives me a good introduction to them. And the big thing here um, was the vignettes. Um, the commentary, which back in the day actually explained, who like in depth, who these wrestlers are, and it's so much. It was so much easier back in the day. What their gimmick was, what their characters were. Nowadays, it's like we have to freaking rely on Google. Like it's again, it's not our job, like as as viewers, as casuals, or even like even the core or hardcores to determine what the hell. Uh, Like These wrestlers gimmicks or characters are It's not like We're not supposed to google it Or whether It's a character or Like who is this wrestler It's the promotion's job To Tell us who X wrestler is Or what Y's character is Okay (laughs) Even in 2021 In the internet age It's still the promotion's job That's why the wrestling is in the sad state that it is right now. Well, I don't think we're ever. I don't know if we're ever gonna get those times again. But as for Saint Valentine's Day Massacre, um, good, like good show in terms of storytelling, but um, it was just like, um, the matches itself were like from an in-ring standpoint. I mean, again, I'm not a big in-ring mark, but um, it was just okay. It was not the greatest, but it also wasn't bad either. But that, with that being said, thank you for tuning in to this uh, special Valentine's Day edition or single, uh, I like to call it, single awareness day edition of the Very Cold Lasagna podcast. I am your host, Dylan Lasagna. Make sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Very Cold Lasagna. And make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel for Vodcast extras, clips, and what have you, and turn on that notification bell so you'll be notified of each and every one of those when those go up. Make sure to listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor FM, and I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, retro review. um, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, the the old icebox. (laughs) The old icebox retro review. Um, A new fixture here on this uh, podcast. So, Until next time, keep that uh, lasagna very cold in the fridge uh, with your casual cold and dumbest take on the world of professional wrestling and sports. And I will see you all next time. Take everyone, and happy Single Awareness Day.